welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing on lead vocals and guitar, it's Mr. Robert Pollard. We're talking about the prolific frontmen synonymous with Guided by Voices, the DIY legends from Dayton, Ohio. GBV's seemingly endless output of material and Pollard's notoriously rowdy live performances have made them modern indie legends. And today, we'll be guided through Guided by Voices history by Matthew Cutler's Closer You Are, the story of Robert Pollard and Guided by Voices. But first, let's introduce our own guest and introducing on guitars, synths, and vocals from Wolf Parade, Handsome Furs, Divine Fits, Atlas Strategic, and Operators. It's Mr. Dan Beckner. Welcome to the show, Dan. Hello. Hello, everyone. Yay. Thanks for joining us. Very excited to talk about Rob Pollard. Yeah. He is in the Hall of Fame of Ohio Excellence, which, uh, of course, makes me a fan. Yeah. And and I, I think rock excellence in in general. Like, he's he's close to the top of the heap for me. It's like Mark E. Smith, Bob Pollard. That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> the two guys who are really good at keeping the same lineup of their band through the entire, <laughs> yeah. their entire 30 year plus career. Well, look, if you're going to yeah, have a measured calculated output of, of music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very conservative, not very, not very prolific and yeah. uh, very yeah. staid. Totally. Well, well if you're going to max your stats of consistency in one aspect of the band, which is output, you've got to min the, the stats for consistency of the other parts of the band, which are personnel. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Personal, you got to drop the personnel bar. You have to drag it all yeah, the way down. All the way down, down so, you <laughs> yeah. the, so you can get the output all the way up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Robert Pollard uh, and Guided by Voices, a band that uh, I think engenders like good vibes for pretty much everybody who is, encounters them and becomes a fan. Uh, but you, Dan, suggested them, or you know, we had a back and forth about a few of a few bands, and this is what we landed on. Uh, what what brought you to GBV? Um. I can kind of pinpoint it back to like the, the summer of 1995. I was, uh, I was like kind of between grade 11 and grade 12. And I was, uh, in a punk band and listening to a lot of like really abrasive hardcore and noise music. And I went to the local record store and bought alien lanes. Uh, and I was doing a lot of acid at the time. Sure. So my, my summer, my summer holiday, like summer vacation routine would be, uh, do two tabs of acid, put alien lanes in my Walkman and then wander around the forested small town that I lived in. <laughs> and it, I, I think that was like probably one of the biggest parts of my musical education. Like I, w- I was like, Oh, you can sound cool and kind of abrasive, but also indulge in prog rock or like Beatles type. Yeah. Like, like sixties like psych stuff. Yeah. And I, it was kind of like a, I kind of had this record and uh, and and an OMD tape as as my secret tapes that I would never play for anyone else. <laughs> and anytime I anytime I played anyone Alien Lanes, it would ultimately just like completely backfire. Oh <laughs> no! Like, what is this shit? Well, I'm sure when you, it's like one of those things when you're super into something that young or like a movie or something that you know yourself is perfect. You can never really like show it to somebody else because they won't see the, the intricate, especially if you've uh, burned it into your brain with two tabs of acid a day that they won't see the intricacies of it that you, that you yeah, see, exactly. you know? you're just sitting yeah, there you, watching them being like, so do you like it? Do you like it? <laughs> I remember, 
uh, distinctly like being at a party in Duncan, British Columbia. And there was this girl that I had a massive crush on and we were like alone in one of the bedrooms at her parents' house and <laughs> it had a tape deck. And I was like, you got to listen to this album. <laughs> and I think she made it through like halfway of side one and was like, that's cool. I'm going to go downstairs now. Uh, see you later. <laughs> see you later, Dan. Uh, you can't push it too, uh, too hard. You have to. Uh, Idiot. Yeah. So you gotta, the secret tapes is definitely that's a that's a wise move. Some things are yeah. things, some things are just for you. Yeah, uh, I'll say that you know I I I've definitely known of Guided by Voices for a long time. I was never super heavily into them. Uh, I listened to Under the Bushes, Under the Stars, pretty pretty regularly in like high school, early college, uh, just as the being like, oh, I know these guys are you know kings like like sacred pillars uh, of of good rock music so i should get into them and this is the one album that i that i hadn't listened to pretty regularly but you know as i i think i've said with other bands like this that have just like endless output that is all of the same quality you know there's not like there's you know 70 albums and like but there are really only like five good ones yeah, you know it's yeah. just pretty daunting to get into so i never really went that much deeper into them but i i i Loved Under the Bushes, Under the Stars. There are a bunch of great songs in there that I love, like Official Ironman's Rally Song. That was probably my favorite. Uh, that song is so good. Yeah. So good. And uh, uh, and then from there, uh, didn't really go much further, but, you know, always recognize them again as like, you know, I associate a band like this with like uh, in that same lane, like the jam, where there's just yeah. like a billion songs. They're all in a fairly narrow range. And I say this positively of quality where it's yeah. like, Somewhere between like eighty-five to ninety-five, with a few hundreds in there. So it's it's is that the Metacritic right. score? Yeah, that's Chris? the Metacritic <laughs> score. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's not that much uh, uh, a differentiation, so it makes it a little daunting to uh, to get into. But it sounds the same like you. You had your one album, and that was the that was the one that was like the the lodestar for it. Yeah, and that that sent me. So as soon as I got that, I I sought out like Propeller and Vampire on Titus. I didn't hear B Thousand, which is like you know, everyone's favorite, I think, mm -hmm. or for a certain generation of GBV fans, uh, B thousand is their like white album. <laughs> I didn't hear that till later, but I did get under bushes under stars the next summer. And I was like the second I graduated, I left the town that I grew up in. Mm -hmm. I, I went to the, I, I went to the city. Uh, and I remember like that record being the soundtrack to that. And it was, I was kind of disappointed at first, because I was like, oh, man, they've totally sold out. It's so it's so hi-fi. It's so and slick. In, it's so slick. And in retrospect... It I, sounds I, like there might be eight, maybe even 12 tracks on this record. <laughs> that Yeah, that might that's always in the running with my favorite record of theirs and now. And I, I think back on it, and I'm just like, after, after having made albums, I'm like, what a fucking idiot I was. <laughs> you know? Like, whoa, sellouts. They've yeah. got like 16 tracks instead of four. It's like... <laughs> um, I, I personally did not... I was obviously aware of Guided by Voices in general, but they just never dovetailed with my personal music fandom. And honestly, it really right. was a crash course in the last like three or four days that I've been listening to a ton of Guided by Voices. And it's fucking awesome. Also, it's just like great. a fan treat because you really can't like... I feel like some of the artists I like the most have like four albums, which is kind of, you know, it's nice in its own way because each one of those is like the big, you know, the big thing. But the idea yeah. of being a fan of a band and there's literally just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs to kind of like endlessly pillage is extremely cool. So that's that's great. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like finding an attic filled with, uh, yeah, just amazing stuff you can endlessly sift through. Yeah. Well, should we, should we we talk about journey into the the center of Pollard? Dan, do you talk, do you say Robert, Bob, Rob? Like what's the like fan way of describing this man? I think it's Bob. I think it's Bob. Bob. After having read this book, it's like uncle Bob, uncle Bob. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, His Bobness. His Bobness. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Let's, let's get into it. Uh, He, he's born on October 31st, 1957 in Dayton, Ohio. One of five kids. Dad's a Korean war vet uh, who works at Frigidaire, the Frigidaire division of General Motors, just like the most like middle class American yeah. life you could imagine. Like imagine having five kids and like a job. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like a regular job. A re- just, just a normal and, job. You go and build something. Yeah. You make a thing. Where you have home. a set retirement. Like, yeah. you know, you're going to be working for X amount of years. You're going to put your kids through college. Like... Couldn't couldn't be me. The other yeah. thing, I mean, th- this is a big tangent, but I grew up maybe forty minutes south of Dayton uh, in the northern part of Cincinnati. And I, whenever I was in Dayton, the factory that I always saw and thought was a uh, funny was the um, the cash register factory. Uh, which <laughs> wow, it's just like cash registers got to be made somewhere, and that's just it seems like a, a, a very just the image of going past the like whatever it was like Cassius cash register factory was, yeah. is always associated with driving up to Dayton. Well, Sam, Sam Brown, uh, drummer for operators and, uh, and divine fits, uh, also grew up in Ohio and kind of sl- features in this, this story. I actually like, there are a couple of things, uh, a couple of shows, his old band played with GBV that I had, I had no idea that he played, but his family, they all worked at a ball bearing factory. <laughs> Sure. In, of Bu- course. in Bucyrus, Ohio, of it was course. like generational jobs, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> making m- making things in America, it apparently used to happen. Uh, couldn't be us. Yeah. Now. Couldn't be us. Uh, and uh, so Bob's thing, besides he he liked music from a young age, and I like like many people who grew up in the sixties, like his first kind of experience of a rock band was seeing the Beatles on TV. But he was also a jock which makes him like a lot different from most of the people we've read about for this podcast is like, he was a very good athlete, like through yeah. no hitter. Like I can't, apparently he threw 12 no hitters between the ages of 10 and 20, <laughs> like really like a football quarterback and played basketball, like yep. a real genuine corn fed American jock, Ohio sportsman. <laughs> Ohio sportsman. He's like a big guy too. Like you look at pictures of him, uh, the book has some amazing pictures of him like playing sports very well as a young man. Yep. And he's like, yeah, he's tall and pretty built. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are not that many people that take that energy into being a rock musician. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, but he has this other weird hobby that he basically cultivates for like years and years, which is making, making up fake bands and making fake albums for those fake bands and then writing lyrics for fake songs for those fake albums for those fake bands and like drawing album covers. So he, one example, they, he's, they just, they, in this, this is a biography, by the way, this is not a memoir. So he's giving an interview, a bunch of interviews to the writer and some examples of uh, the albums that he comes up with are Ricked Wiki's Jar of Jam, Ton of Bricks. Yes. Which is just an incredible, 
like right away, like his brain is on something special. I think that's one of the things that will be a through line through this. Uh, Gotta buy voices. Excellent names for things. Yeah. Just kings of naming stuff. Like the fall too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Every, every album is, is a good, is a good evocative name. Every song is great. We'll, we'll, we'll continue saluting these as we go on, but uh, Robert Pollard, King of Names. Yes. An- another uh, fake album he came up with was called An Axe in the Head is Worth Two in the Back. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So good. Um, so he, he spends like hours and hours making these fake albums, but he doesn't you know learn how to play music for a long time. Uh, but he loves music. He uh, so is he just doing like the uh, the the presentation? He's not actually like writing songs, for which them? is kind of amazing. He basically figures out how to like be in a band by like the out going outside in like the aesthetics yeah. first. He's dreaming it like into existence in a weird way. Like, yeah, yeah. He's he's totally manifesting being being in a cool band eventually. Yeah. Um. He also he. He's a a huge record collector, which then eventually influences uh, the incredibly eclectic music of Guided by Voices. Uh, But he will save his lunch money for records and he will eat spoonfuls of mustard instead. (laughs) And then he'll go practice football for like five hours. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Which is like incredible, uh, like precog preparation for... (laughs) life on the road, you know, cause like you will sit in a van for six hours and not be able to eat anything. Uh, and then, and then just like exert yourself for two hours. Right. It's, it's yeah. total training for, for being in a band. Yeah. Also, eventually when guided by voices gets big and they go to their first European tour, he it basically says like he, uh, Bob will refuse to eat anything that isn't pizza or a burger. <laughs> And so he just won't eat at all because he was trained on literally not eating too, in order to like do whatever he needed to do. Poor, I really, poor Bob. Re- I really related to that uh, that sequence like uh, of the book when they go to Europe for the first time. Not the not necessarily like Bob's point of view, but I have been on tour with people who will just retreat into a shell in a foreign environment because you know they kind of can't control the situation. And yeah, it's yeah. scary, and that goes right right down to food so. especially in europe where even like normal type things are just a little off yes you try to yeah. get a hot dog and it's just weird in some way yeah. <laughs> or you go get a slice of pizza at a 7-eleven in denmark and it's like yes we have the spaghetti carbonara pizza <laughs> and uh yeah totally yeah i love that shit though yeah but that's just oh yeah me. give me give me any regional variant of a hot dog and i will uh i will i would love to taste it I'm also or just chips. thinking, yeah, or chi- oh, regional chips. Oh, regional chips. Uh, I gotta yeah. get, so, after we can leave the country again. I gotta get back to Canada, get some of those all dressed chips. I'll, I'll mail you guys a. <laughs> I would love that. I was tell. I don't think Molly ever got the all dressed. I got. I had all dressed, but in non Canadian all dressed, and I was informed on Twitter that all dressed outside of Canada, the production runs apparently just aren't as good. So I was yeah, getting inferior all dressed quality stuff. Yeah, yeah, the pure shit. I'm also just. The, do you go back to is it football practicing days? I was thinking of how bizarre the fitness standards were, were in the '60s. Like my dad played high school and college football and said that uh, before they figured out like how to liquid put electrolytes in liquid, like in Gatorade, uh, when they were uh, really sweaty at the in the middle of practice, their coaches would just give them salt cubes because oh. they were like <laughs> they were like the salt's leaving your body through the sweat. You need to resalinate your body. Oh, I just have like him playing football for three hours on a on a 
teaspoon of mustard and then eating a salt <laughs> cube. And that's like the whole afternoon's consumption. I'm just imagining like a salt lick on the, uh, in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of a football field <laughs> yeah. surrounded by like linebackers, just, just yeah, like a bunch of hummingbirds. Yeah. yeah totally. <laughs> Thank God for Gatorade, man. Uh, yeah. so yes. So Bob goes, he goes to college on a sports scholarship, which then he pretty much immediately loses because he fucks up his elbow from, from pitching too hard. I guess. Um, and then, so he, but he still wants to finish college and he picks elementary education to get his degree in because in his mind, at least he gets summers off. Right. That's a great, King. great yeah. reason. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. fine. Uh, I, I, I hold a high regard for anybody who wants to plan their career around working the bare minimum. I think my dad did that because he, he was like similarly kind of a high school jock who, uh, who became a, a public school teacher and was like, okay, I can take a program that, you know, it's like nine months and I'm a public school teacher <laughs> and then I get summers off. Yep. Thinking, yeah. thinking seasonally for, you know, yeah. sports school kind of makes sense. Yeah. Perfect. yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, he, he graduates and becomes a, an elementary school teacher, which I mean, there's, I think he was a teacher for 14 years. So there's 14 generations of kids who had Mr. Pollard as their teacher. And I bet they have some fun stories. Uh, did they say what, 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 does he have a specialization? I, guess I think he's just general. In elementary, it's kind of like general teacher. Yeah. yeah. Maybe fifth grade. I don't know. Um, but he, so yeah, in, on one side, he's kind of like falling into this typical Dayton middle-class life of like being a teacher. He gets married. He has two kids like immediately, you know, it's nuts when people have kids before the band starts. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's nuts. Uh, and he was born in 57, right? So this is like 80 ish. Yeah. This is happening. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he had like a taste of being in a band in college when future guided by voices member Mitch Mitchell, which great name. <laughs> well, no, no relation to uh, the Hendrix drummer. No. Re- yeah. No. relation. <laughs> Same guy, same guy. Same guy. <laughs> he went. He went Mitch back to college. Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, he. I, I always love that every '60s band has to have one guy whose name is like Mitch Mitchell, Dave Davies, jo- Jones Mc John, Jones McJones, John Johnson, John Johnson, Mick yeah. Mick, Mick, Mick Mick Mickley, Mick Mickelson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, Bob basically got recruited into this uh, like metal cover band. Uh, by Mitch Mitchell because they were playing, you know, as you always like you're playing a talent show and you like lost your guy and you need to fill it really quickly. And they were like, Hey Bob, you should come front our band. And he was like, what do you mean? How do you like, how do you know I can sing? And they're like, you sing, you're walking around singing all the time, every day, whenever you want to. So this guy's just like running around campus, just like singing at the top of his lungs. He's like, wait, how do you know I would be good at being in a band? And uh Given the way that Robert Pollard sings, I think that that would be a very funny thing to uh, to see. It's, I, I imagine it isn't just gentle humming under the breath. No, it's just him bellowing about like the king of pies uh, <laughs> in, a, in like a British accent, like stomping down the street. Right. <laughs> um, so that and then obviously that band dissolves as all like generally college bands do. Um, but he starts, he teaches himself guitar and then after he graduates and he's working, he has what he calls the snake pit, which is his attic or no, his basement, sorry, is named after his uncle's attic. So he hangs out with his brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Called the snake pit. 
But named, named after, after his, weird, his weird New Jersey Uncle uncles. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yes. So he, yeah, he hangs out in the snake pit with his brother uh, Jimmy, who eventually is in Guided by Voices for a while, and they basically just do this like freestyle, free association songwriting where they like record everything they write and sing, and like it'll be. He, he says like they he. We always thought it would be six or seven songs, but it was like eighteen, <laughs> and they would just do that like Sign day after of day. To come, and they actually released yes. some of the. They called themselves Acid Ranch. That was the um, that was the name for their like basement duo. Cool, but they released some songs. Should we listen to something off of Acid Ranch? Yeah, let's listen to or some something Acid from Ranch. Acid Ranch. Rather, let's see. Might take me a second to get to this. Dan, do you have any uh, like pre GBV faves that you can I think was- of? I was kind of unfamiliar with the pre GBV stuff um, until this book, but I realized I heard some of it on the, um, I bought that like insane CD box set with like a hundred um, songs on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the fading captain series or suitcase. I think that's what yeah, it was called. There's yeah. been four, there's been four of them. Oh my so, God. but it's kind of hard to determine like which is a uh, re-recorded by GBV or which has just been like put out on GBV records and credited to GBV. So yeah, no, uh, fa- no real faves off the top of my head. Cool. I'm going to try to see. So did they release the acid range stuff later in like 2005 in like the early two thousands, I think. Okay, great. Yeah, um, suitcase would be, or like any, any album named suitcase would have acid ranch stuff off of it. Okay. I'm going to try to see if this seems like it. Kind of sounds like Goldheart Mountaintop Queen Directory of B thousand. Ah, it also kind of sounds like Charlie's Charles Manson's album. Oh yeah, never, never say never to always. <laughs> well, Acid Ranch is is named after Spawn Ranch. And it's the lifeblood of society. <laughs> and it's every man's propriety. I surround myself shamelessly in beautiful plastic. <laughs> Apparently, he had a guitar beautiful technique plastic. where he just let the A string ring. Yeah. Like. Beautiful plastic. Beautiful plastic. Beautiful plastics. <laughs> cherish its pseudo qualities. Yes. This is great. I mean, this is only a minute 55, so I'm going to let this play out. Understand it. And it's the lifeblood of society. And it's every man's proprietary. I surround myself shamelessly in beautiful plastic. Beautiful plastic. Beautiful plastic. Beautiful plastic. Yeah. Beautiful. Hell yeah. Uh, I gotta say, maybe it's there's something in the Ohio water because that does sound like a. Uh, it could easily be reworked as a Devo song. Oh, totally. Yeah. Mm. Uh, 
so yeah, that's that's the vibe. That's the acid ranch snake pit vibe. <laughs> it's just like these weird. I mean, that's the crazy. Like he's at this point already listened to just so much music that it seems to he basically is just like a vessel that like everything goes in and then he just like spits out these insane like fragments that turn into and he's got the I mean he's got melodies too. He's yeah. he's very good at that. Yeah, he can write a hook like almost like nobody else from that era. It's kind of insane. Yep. And so many of them. His, um, his voice is, is is has is very confident and powerful. I mean especially for like how many of these songs that he he jams out like none of them seem like tossed away or anything. They seem like fully thought out, you know? He cares. Yeah, it's the athlete's confidence. <laughs> it's like, he's, he's taking the shot every time he presses record. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's, he's making this music. He's finding these collaborators in Dayton. Uh, he eventually gets Mitch back on board. Here comes the part of the podcast episode where I'm like, oh boy, trying to keep full track of the lineup at any one given time is was very difficult for me. So I'll do my best. But if, if there's anyone here who's like, Hey, Kevin Fennell wasn't there yet. I'm going yeah. to, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing, I'm doing my very best. But so they get this kind of initial band together. Um, and Bob has the name guided by voices already, but he basically doesn't want to waste it on like an inferior group. Like he's waiting for like guided the by right. voices to be like the right thing, which is so, wise because it's such that is a powerful band name it's a great band yeah. name. so good but some other names that they used in the meantime uh coyote call instant lovelies dash nice. rip rock and his hairspray boys <laughs> fucking amazing and so the, good and my favorite tweezers Ooh, tweezers. tweezers is great so he again like he's just exploring like this idea of like what it means to like be in a bit ba- like be a band like the aesthetics of being a band from the name taking photographs like the outfits you're supposed to wear he's always been very like concerned with that but somehow without seeming like it's it's not pretentious it's just like it's not trying too hard it's just trying hard yes yeah it's like he has a set of rules in his mind that like what a band should be and what they should do and what they should look like and how they should operate and and he's kind of going forward from that yeah totally uh, and I, I'm look. I'm just scrolling through a bunch of GBV picks, and they always do look exactly like they are a band, even if they're just wearing like button-down shirts and stuff. I mean, it's it's never that much of a put on. Uh, it's just like good, solid, t- meshing together working class guy uniforms. Yeah, and they never look manicured either. Like, yeah. like I, I mean, I think about like press shots from that era, which were you know there was like the sort of fisheye lens was in every shot. <laughs> yeah, like, boy. We did love the, the fisheye lens in the eighties <laughs> and nineties. Yeah. And, and yeah, guided by voices. Just, I remember being a kid and looking at their press shots and thinking, first of all, they're old, <laughs> and second of all, but, but cool. And, and sec, and secondly, like they're all weird looking dudes. Like they're, uh, there's nothing manicured about them. Really. They're just, yeah. Yep. Just yep. a bunch of fellas. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a bunch of guys. Just yeah. guys being dudes. Guys being dudes just, making music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so they start. Uh, finally, he gets a lineup together that is good enough to call Guided by Voices. And they start gigging in Dayton, which seems hard. The Dayton music scene basically seems like kind of impossible to crack, even though it keeps, you know, it produced these guys who are like, you know, 
they just want to rock, but then they play these bars and it, the classic, you know, everyone is like, uh, play covers of the songs that we would already play, know. Play Satisfaction. And they're like, yeah, how, how about 31 minute and 50 second songs that you don't know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they're oh, frustrated. Man. They're like squabbling. They're fighting. Uh, at one point, Bob is, says that, you know, he, he physically fights with his brother, Jimmy, but they never, you know, you don't punch your brother. Always open handed, which I thought was <laughs> just a good rule. Yes. Just a good old fashioned uh, fraternal slap fight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe some light shoves. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't he? He jumps on his stomach at one point, or he, like uh, like flying drop kicks him in the balls or something. Yes. He uh, his brother cracks his um, record players cover, and like he like sat on it by accident, and cracked it, and in response he jumped in the air and and like kicked him in the stomach with both legs. It was- <laughs> And, I feel and his like brother was like, yeah, that hurt a little. I feel like that particular move comes up fairly frequently in and intro. I swear that that's happened at least Not one or two other times. Not the first time someone's yeah. gotten kicked fly, with both yeah. feet in the stomach. Like a flying double jump kick. Yeah, which is funny because I, I would. that's just not a move that I would, ev- would ever come naturally to me. I, I don't know. You got to be real you mad. practice that or if it just comes I, to you in the moment being like, I need to kick this guy with both legs right now. <laughs> I feel like that's some redneck shit. Like, like that's definitely like I have seen a guy in couch and leg take a running double footed jump at somebody. Yeah. You know, like, pa- powered by like many cheap beers, I would imagine. Yeah. And really- like a watching wrestling, maybe you know, Ooh. like a like a teenage hit filled with WWF and yeah. Well, I admire it because it is just such a commitment. Because it you are you are guaranteed to get at least a little hurt because you're going to fall to the ground too. But you're willing to sacrifice that. <laughs> For the power of both feet, man. <laughs> um, so yeah, they they're they're fighting, but they're they're playing. Uh, they have so many songs that each live set they do is almost an entirely new slate of songs. Which again, maybe not the greatest way to like find fans <laughs> who like maybe know your songs. <laughs> but hey, whatever. Hey, these guys are good. Did did you say you saw them before? No, the other band I saw play completely different songs. This can't be them. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> um, uh, and so they, you know, Bob's attitude as a, a, a music purist, he's like, music isn't real unless it's on recorded on vinyl. So they start scraping together uh, money for these EP, like these like vinyl EPs that they print themselves and release themselves on their own made up record labels. Uh, they, <laughs> the, I guess we can maybe play a little of the music. The, again, incredible album titles. Forever Since Breakfast, Devil Between My Toes, Same Place the Fly Got Smashed. <laughs> oh, so man. these are all like late 80s. That DVD. record, Same Place the Fly Got Smashed, is so good. It has uh, it has this song, Drinker's Peace, on it. That's like, I think, one of one of Bob's like most heartfelt, best. Let's see. Let's listen. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Guided by Voices, Drinker's Peace. Can't remember what the 
pure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's I such love a this. honest uh, telling of like a guy who knows he has a drinking problem. <laughs> I also love the like tempo fluctuations. Like, I think that's yeah. so cool that it's not like, okay, let's like get this perfectly timed, like finger picked thing. It's just like, nope, it's going to slow down and speed up whenever I feel like it. And uh, it totally works. Like when he hits that second chorus and uh, it, it, al- it almost slows to a crawl and then he speeds it back up again. Uh, it's, it's such a great moment. Like it's very cool. There's, there is also something so haunted about these like bedroom um, four track recordings from the, especially from the eighties when there were like this kind of stuff really proliferated and you had all this wacky stuff like from this to like the frogs or like half Japanese uh, yeah. or like Jandek or whatever, where totally. you know, I can imagine that if you like were sorting through, you know, you're sorting through a record bin and find something like this and, and pick it up and have no idea where it came from or like who these people are or if they'll ever put out another record or what the province of this is that that all this stuff must feel would have felt and still feels very uh, haunted. Yeah. And it's it's I, I would thinking about this a lot, reading this book and listening to these songs is, uh, you know, in the two thousands, like Mark Fisher kind of codified the idea of hauntology, um, with, with like bands like broadcast or especially that broadcast focus group record, um, is, is maybe the best example of that. But the way it's been written about has always made it like the province of British people. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's like imbued with like the wicker man, uh, mm-hmm. Stonehenge, like this sort of ancient, very Anglo thing. Mm-hmm. And then listening to, listening to this stuff, I was like, this is just American ontology. Like you can hear an Ohio basement. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That it's really true. cool. Like also, I mean, I, I always, not, I always forget, but you know, we're in the, the, the basically the best time to find new music ever because everything's there. Everything's on the internet. The idea that this is like a hand pressed, like 300 run vinyl that like, yeah. they couldn't, they also like, couldn't give away. <laughs> like they, <laughs> yeah. yeah they, did they smash a bunch of them? Yeah, they did. Isn't that like, they got frustrated and just started whipping them at the wall. Of yes. The yes. Yeah. And so like they, this is a, an object that like it's, it once guided by voices became like a thing. I'm sure it was super hard to find. I think they said uh, a vinyl version of propeller eventually will get you 3000 bucks for it. Like the, yeah. just the idea of it's, it's so uh, confined to what it is. Like, it's not like it can just like, you know, no one's making a TikTok dance to this shit. I would love, I'm gonna, I'll start a TikTok, a viral TikTok dance to a guided by voices <laughs> song. Uh, I would yes. love a tour of Bob Pollard's archives, his music archives. I thought you were going to say see, house. I'm like, yeah, I think I just to see how he has cataloged and stored all like what must surely be an absolute mountain of tapes and, and yeah. tracks from this era and like how he preserved stuff like this through like decades through like a, th- a tape to 300 EP pressing and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I mean, I think there's a point in the book where I forget which record it is. Maybe it's under Bush's, where he finds like a he finds a cassette recording of him playing Don't Stop Now. I think it's Don't Stop Now and he can't he he didn't remember that he wrote this <laughs> song. It's like one of the best best fucking songs in their entire 
output and kind of sums up, you know, the mission statement of the brand, but it's just a tape at the end of a row of tapes in a shoebox. Yeah, exactly. So nuts. Crazy. Oh my God. So yeah. So they're making these, these kind of albums uh, and things are getting kind of dire in terms of like, they feel like no one's listening to them. Bob's relationship with his wife is going so poorly that she serves him divorce papers with after school one day. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're running out of money. Like everyone's in in debt. Uh, and he basically says, all right, fuck this shit. Like Propeller is going to be our last album. And it ends up coinciding with the blowing up of alternative music in America in the early 90s with Nirvana. And so... Yeah. The, the the writer of this uh, biography uh, invokes Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point. <laughs> yeah, I was, was kind of bummed when I read that. <laughs> it's just like, no, dude. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking about, yeah, you know, you, you need your, like, it's something sticky and it needs a, a, a salesman. I'm like, yeah, I get uh, I mean, listen, I was brain poisoned by Malcolm Gladwell at one point, too. We've all been there. Yeah, but, uh, absolutely. But yeah, basically, you know, they were about to completely die off from lack of like momentum and total frustration. And then just the the hunger for, oh, Nirvana's huge. Like what other alternative music is out there in America means that they get the attention of like indie press, which means they get the attention of, uh, you know, a record label. First, it's Scat Records. <laughs> nice. Who's like, yeah. uh, hey, we listened to Propeller and we liked it. And you want to make a new EP? And, and Bob's like, yeah, uh, I think I have enough material for, <laughs> <laughs> for a new EP or 400. Um, and then from there, Matador signs, they basically sign, uh, sign them away from Scat and they become part of the, you know, American the indie sphere. Indie sphere. Yeah, seemingly yeah. overnight, but after years and years of work. Yeah, a, de- a decade of grinding out songs and limited press LPs in the the Dayton bar rock scene. Totally, who who is absolutely rejecting them at every turn, you know? And <laughs> yeah. and like I, hmm, I don't have like I, I didn't put the same amount of like years into it, but I do remember like a similar thing happening in Victoria, British Columbia, with uh, myself, Spencer from Wolf Raid, Carrie Mercer from Frog Eyes. Like, uh, there was this, uh, Steve McBean from Black Mountain. Like, there was this group of people, and we were constantly writing songs and playing, and the local media was like, yeah, these, uh, I guess there's kind of a music scene here, but let's focus on uh, Arthur Funkarelli and uh, <laughs> a band called Wonder Sauce. And, like, just, oh, like, funk cover bands and just getting terrible reviews in like the local paper and being humiliated in front of my family, you know? So I, I really related to that, um, that thing of Dayton rejecting GBV. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. You, you have to have the, the gall to stick it out at a certain point. I mean, I, I don't know what, what is the thesis of tipping point? I, it seems more like if you, if you're good and you stick with it, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's, it does a, seem to happen. It's a 300 page book that's basically just like, I don't know, man, when the timing's right, sometimes things just bubble up to the surface. <laughs> Fascinating. Like, ba- yeah. like, more or less. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it was 92. Everyone was like, uh, feeling weird. <laughs> and here comes Nirvana being like, I feel weird as well. <laughs> yeah. And it's totally marketable. And there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a, like a customer base for it. Yeah. So yeah, it comes with a uniform. Money. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a instant selling. Spe- speaking of uniforms, uh, 
Guided by Voices played their first show in New York City in 1993. Uh, they play CBGBs, and uh, amazingly, they're they have a, a, a manager at this point, Pete Jameson, who had made a hundred hot pink tank tops with an <laughs> octopus design and the words "Guided by Voices" on them. And Bob was quote aghast uh, <laughs> because the, he thought that they would look like total like root like country bumpkins bringing this weird clothing into the big city. And of course they sold out, uh, you know, all, all of the shirts because I'm like, I'm reading this. I'm like hot pink tank top with an octopus on it. This is guided by voices. Like I want one of these. Sounds so cool. It sounds extremely cool. Um, and so at this show, uh, the writer says on stage, Bob became a twitching, shambling transmitter for an altogether new yet tantalizingly familiar sound. He transformed from drab everyman into gilded rock star before the crowd's eyes. So this guy's 36 years old. He's been teaching elementary school for like 13 years and he's on stage at CBGB's like killing it. And he has to fucking drive back. Uh, <laughs> I think like immediately the next day to go to work. <laughs> Which is like, totally. Uh, Sam, I gotta add, Sam Brown, uh, operators drummer, opened that show with his band Gaunt. So wow. really, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's so, which, wild. Uh, which he had kind of he he had told me about playing in New York in the nineties, and he had also mentioned Guided by Voices, but he had never, I never really put the two things together until I until I read that passage. <laughs> that rocks. <laughs> it's just like. Uh, did, he, did he cop a tank top or were they were they sold I, out before he got his I need to ask him if he has I think he would have told me if he had a tank top yeah uh, should Damn. we listen to some 92 propeller yeah yeah do you have a favorite track off this you know Weed King is pretty good let's go with Weed King let's go with Weed King yeah Do you guys mind if I take a quick break? I think I've uh, got too many LaCroix in me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah go for it. We can take a break. I'll be, uh, be right back. <laughs> this has like um, Black Sabbath vibes. Right, like slowed down metal. Yeah. Very uh, uh, wizard painted on the side of a van style rock. Yeah. It's weird. This is like frog grunge. Yeah. Or vice versa. Cool. 
grunge grunge site. <laughs> Uh, this song oh, rocks. Solo. <laughs> yeah. Fucking rule. It sounds like Peter Gabriel fronting like a frog rock band, yes. or like like a like a more rocky version of Genesis. Yes. Which is, you know, which and it's kind of uh, mind-boggling that they can pull out something like this, or that it very easily be something like this, considering that the you know the other so- two songs we listen to are just like one man acoustic guitar and, and like two strings and it feels like very natural to to move it in and out of these like what seems like it should be like a bloated or grandiose mode but you know they still feel scrappy and diy totally yeah and i i think with the acoustic stuff like bob is definitely <laughs> bob is definitely doing what he's doing with the album covers where he's hearing like i'm sure he's hearing the entire arrangement and it's sure head. yeah yeah like yes totally um, so yeah, they, they finally start getting, uh, attention in like the indie press. They're, they're climbing the CMJ charts <laughs> as you CMJ. do. Uh, and CMJ. they do something that I am, I think is just a great practice for a, a band that is just getting successful, which is they're still banking albums. Like, I feel like there's, <laughs> a, there's points where he's like two albums ahead of where the releases are, which is just cause wow. I don't know. You hear a lot of people who like maybe have one idea and then they yeah. kind of burn out and he's i mean not certainly not bob but or they he, like strip mine that idea for 3 years and then the record label is like okay time for idea number 2 yes <laughs> right but he he's already like by the time b1000 came out i think he had already had um alien lanes like at least written if not recorded like yeah it's kind yeah, of amazing uh, so yeah, that's, should we do, should we pick a, a B thousand? Cause that, yeah. that is well, their ju- sort of, I mean, again, just to really drive this home, we're skipping three albums to get up to B thousand. Yeah. If, if anyone yeah. is listening to this and are huge, you know, GBV heads, yeah, and I'm like, sorry. I can't believe you skipped blah, blah, blah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're not taking any selections off vampire and Titus. Get out of my stations. Uh, fast Japanese spin cycle clown prince of men- of the menthol trailer. And going straight to B thousand. How dare I? Got, I? I got a rep. I got a rep. Vampire on Titus just for one second because yes. uh, I worked backwards to that record and it was only available on vinyl. Uh, so I bought it and it is notoriously like a reduction in fidelity from Propeller. Mm. Like th- that album in particular sounds just insane. It's like <laughs> kind of prefigures the shit gaze. Uh, okay, yeah. Shit gaze. See it like Titus, uh, not Titus Andronicus, but uh, what is that band from Ohio? That's uh, Brain? No, not Brainiac. Uh, the, uh, that was just thinking of other bands from Dayton. But yeah, prefigured that like mid two thousand shit gaze thing. So it's like borderline unlistenable, but there's melodies in there. So I I taped it off vinyl so I could listen to it on my Walkman, but I taped it at a really high volume, which <laughs> made it even more unlistenable. <laughs> and I lo- I love it. I love it. Uh, but yeah. Uh, psychedelic horseshit. Yes. There you go. Yes. Oh, actually, I actually, yes, I remember listening to a lot of psychedelic horseshit uh, in my WNUR college radio days. Them. What? Uh, who else was in that? Sick Alps. Remember Sick Alps? Definitely Sick Alps. Uh, Crystal Stilts. Oh yeah, this is bringing me back. I haven't thought about these bands for a while. Uh, I got it. So. Times New Vikings. Times, Times New Vikings. Viking. We actually talked about Times New Viking on a uh, recent uh, episode. We were talking about what can, can be defined as yes. pop punk. Yes, yes. Yeah. Also, Times New Viking then ended up opening for GBV like in the 
like 2010, like 2010 or 2011 or something. Yeah, and some of the members split off into this band called Connections, which I think kind of suffered the early GBV Dayton curse of like not being able to get out of Columbus, but they were incredible. Yes, and Columbus so- was the, the shit gaze capital. I'm remembering Ohio all the, uh, the shit gaze talk from, uh, from circa 2007. They also had a Christmas themed band called uh, Figgy and the Scrooges. <laughs> oh my goodness. Just <laughs> really, really good shit. <laughs> wow. Um. So yeah. So should we should we pick a B thousand? Yeah. Save? Let's do a B. The ones I know off this are Tractor Rape Chain, uh, Gold Star for Robot Boy, and I'm a scientist. But I'll, uh, as with always, I'll defer to you, Dan. Uh, let's do Tractor Rape Chain because yeah. that yeah that song just kills. It's so good. Such an affirming entrance. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing chorus, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like uh, something like very authentic and like down to earth, like power pop to this. Or they also like remind me a lot of the, um, the like shambling, like sloppy, like almost barely holding it together as a band style yeah. that I associate with like pavement. But it just feels more, almost more authentic coming from these guys. Like it sounds more like it's straight out the back of a bar. It's less sarcastic, I think, yeah. or it's less intellectual. Yeah. Um. Also, love like just on a musical standpoint, like hitting that chorus and hitting like a minor, almost like kind of a minor key to it. There's like a melancholy. He Bob does this a lot, where there's a melancholy melody with these like fist in the air life affirming lyrics yeah that's very Swedish of him I'm, I'm, I don't know yeah. how much Swedish influence he ended up having totally. but it's kind of it's kind of kind of ABBA yeah absolutely it's like SOS kind of yeah yeah got a really long cord on this mic and I'm like resisting the urge to just yeah. <laughs> swing, it, swing it around my head. It's also funny that this is the uh, longest song on this album by about uh, other, what, this and one other song at 3 minutes and 3.05 are the longest songs on this album by about a minute and a half. That's right, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh man, this, al- this album has a uh, kicker of elves, which is just such <laughs> such a good song title. Yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's obviously when B thousand comes out, like it is treated as the kind of like instant indie classic that it was. People are, people are wising up, uh, to, to GBV. Uh, Bob finally gets to quit working at the elementary school where he's been working. There's a great little scene in, in the book where, uh, he, he sits down with the principal and he resigns and the principal says, well, what are you going to do? And he, he says he wanted to scream, I want to rock. But instead, rock. instead he haltingly said, I'm going into a career of music. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bob. Yeah. I want to rock. A- it's that's so disappointing because what could be more satisfying and who, who school's out for the summer, baby. And who actually gets that many alternatives in their life to go into a boss and say, I'm quitting my job because my rock band took off. Seriously. Yeah. I had a, I had a like really, uh, existential moment reading this, this part of the book because I'm, you know, I'm reading the names of the clubs that they're playing on, on the B thousand tour. And these are clubs that like, Wolf Parade played uh, early on in our career and then kind of surpassed. And, you know, like a lot of these clubs still exist. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking about how like, okay, they couldn't have been making that much money touring. The infrastructure for like capital I indie rock did not exist at that point. It was sort of there, but that sort of mid-level like thousand cap venue Mm -hmm. where you can really start making some money. And, you know, really justify quitting your job. And then I realized he got a check for a hundred and fifty some odd thousand dollars from Matador. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. know? And that yeah. is that's the difference. It's Which like, he, he it said like that's five that was five years of teaching salary for Jesus, Bob. That, yeah, that's right. And uh, the, and yeah. by the time we by the time like I signed my first record deal, those days were done. Like yeah. it was over. Yeah, that's a that's a good good eats for for indie bands at the time. F- fucking hundred fifty thousand dollar check. Yeah. Unlike most of the books that I've read for this podcast, where everyone just gets screwed out of money, and there's at least <laughs> one point where they end up like completely broke. That was not a narrative in this book, which I was just kind of relieved. I'm like, yeah, one one less stress for these guys, and <laughs> he yeah, they split all their money equally. Point. Yeah, but yeah. you know the every you know the doesn't matter what thing you're it's, playing like bob sp- split the money around which it's is kind of nice that in like the whole history of the music industry one of the most lucrative times for ap- actual artists was for like dirtbag indie rock musicians in the mid 90s after nirvana broke where you could be like a guy in like a shit heel band from dayton who's never thought that they would get anywhere further than like hamilton county in cincinnati with their band yeah and then some record labels like Hey, suddenly we have uh, like ten million dollars to sign bar <laughs> bands. Uh, how would you? How would two hundred thousand uh, dollars yeah. in cash go for you guys? Well, like famously, uh, Royal Trucks, you know, like yeah. drag, drag city band, two junkies uh, get signed to a major label, and there's a great story about Jennifer Harma going to like an ATM machine to buy cigarettes and realizing she had like a quarter of a million dollars in a checking account. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Which is insane. Uh, yeah. That is insane. It's a weird time. And then, uh, yeah, I, I'm interested because like, you know, I, I think about what the scene must've been like at this time. And, you know, I, I associated a lot of, I'm just interested in what the transition must've been like for all these like 
DIY networks that were put together in like the eighties, like the, our bank could be your life era that then yeah. all of a sudden just get these huge cash injections into them, uh, in like from like 92 to 95. And then I, 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 in a way I imagine that that kind of, uh, obliterated the, the, those networks in some ways. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, you, I frequently think about like the idea that in the nineties selling out was like the biggest transgression mm-hmm. that you could do, but there is some truth to it because, you know, without this sort of fractured landscape of micro genres that, that exists now, there was really, you know, like almost like less bands and this huge, very funded press network. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if the, and if the press network was paying attention to you, then you were kind of off to the races, basically, you know, yeah. like your label or your band or whatever. And then, yeah, like you said, Chris, that that has like a corrosive effect on on the DIY sort of infrastructure. Yeah, because if you have to exist entirely under the radar, then you kind of get to hang out under the radar with everybody else and you can like you do mutual support and stuff. And I know it's not super lucrative, but at least you can like, you know. Uh, as they said in uh, Mimi in the Bathroom, pa- pass the same $20 bill between everybody for uh, for a while. That's right. It's a sustainability thing where you're not going to climb to these like airless heights of, uh, you know, one in 10 chance that you're going to get a hit on the radio yeah. and then be tossed off the mountain. Yeah, exactly. Where you're mercury rev and you get to be like millionaires for like 18 months and then never thought oh, of my- again. That's a, <laughs> I completely forgot about that band. That's, they, they were like going to be the... Uh, you know, Flaming Lips 2.0, right? Like, that was kind of the <laughs> yeah. that was kind of the deal with them. I mean, I always just re- imagine, and maybe I'll finally link this. I think I've mentioned it on the show. NME a year, oh, years ago had this um, uh, uh, photo, like, blog carousel of the uh, worst album covers of the post-grunge major label phase. That's uh, just, yeah. uh, that's funny on its own, but it is just a catalog of all those bands that got, like, one record after grunge broke bands like right. mercury rev and every single one of these album covers is just like the most disgusting like <laughs> aesthetically unappealing like looks like it's literally painted with like like a handful of oil paints and a handful of shit yeah uh, yeah and just, a lot of pictures of dolls like yeah, yeah, pe- dolls <laughs> like, oh, and like the gnarled tree like the gnarled yeah, exactly. forest of grunge and i think that that is maybe the best uh uh display of what was going on here of all these like aggressively uh, disconcerting and uh, off-putting bands, like getting one shot at major label because everybody's like, I don't know what the kid's like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to go to mention Sam Brown again, he has been in three major label bands. Wow. <laughs> all from Columbus, none of whom broke. Like, uh, I saw Got It By Voices live in Vancouver and Sam's band V3 was opening for them. And then Spoon was also opening for them. They played at the Starfish Room. And V3 had like a million dollar record contract. His next band also signed to Warner. And Warner was like, you're going to put your entire album out on DVD. And there will be a video. <laughs> oh, for, my God. For every like this a visual is the- album. Something fucking- that only Beyonce does now. <laughs> exactly. Like this is the desperation of... Uh, Maybe not desperation. This is just the amount of money that they had to throw at this shit. Oh, my God. Innovation. Technological innovation. Uh, But anyway, here's Guided by Voices bubbling up right about right around this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, they start they start touring a shit ton. Uh, They're 
playing shows with, uh, you know, amazing energy, all while downing heroic amounts of rolling rock. The the band's <laughs> drunk, like just live drunkenness starts to really like uh, hit at this period of time. Uh, and Bob also has a rule on tour. He says, uh, no, at least he started. I'm not, I don't think this continued, but he said no masturbation allowed. Uh, he refused to let his bandmates masturbate. <laughs> How was no he? Was he checking? Uh, I mean, I I would assume it pre- would be pretty easy to find out. But uh, his uh, his I think bassist was would say things like, "Sir, day seven, permission to beat off," <laughs> and I would be like, "No, permission denied." <laughs> permission denied. Uh, the should we get into Alien Lanes? That's like the next. Uh, you know, marquee. Yeah. Well, first we have to skip over King shit and the golden boys Yep. and then get to alien lanes. Sure. We're always going to have to skip over something. (laughs) Something, Yeah. Do you have an alien lanes fave closer? You are the quicker it hits you. That that's a jam. The, uh, the books, uh, title or subtitle title. Yeah, that's right. All right, here we go off alien lanes. This is 95. The song is Closer You Are. Here we go. It sounds like the tape is just starting up as he yes. starts singing. You know, like it barely catch up with him. Yeah. Uh, this one sounds like uh, early Who or the Kinks. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is probably going to be the episode with the most amount of completely played songs because they're all one minute. It's ideal. Exactly. You don't have to cut it off at the pass. I am 17 years old. I am in Liz Plant's parents' bedroom. I am playing this song for Liz Plant. She's <laughs> thinking about going downstairs. It's almost like a hard. Uh, the fade out. Apparently, uh, sorry, sorry, Chris. Uh, it, yeah, go for it, Molly. The uh, they didn't have like an automatic fade out uh, capability on their equipment, and so Bob was apparently the best at like hand fading out the mix. <laughs> and I think they called him Captain Fade Out. Nice. <laughs> the fading captain. Fading captain. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry, sorry, Chris. Go on. I was just gonna say it's oh, it's hard to comment on just because they're they're just so good. <laughs> They're just good. <laughs> they're just good, and uh, and and you know, all very much of a piece. Yeah, yeah the, the the lyrics too are just like they're they're so elusive. Like you know, maybe on paper they're very fractured and like nonsensical, but like 
just the way he sang stoned at the Alamo tonight. Like when I was a kid, I was like, where is the Alamo? Like, I want to, I want to get stoned at the Alamo. Like, the <laughs> uh, yeah. I feel, I feel like the lyrics are once again in the like Swedish songwriting thing, like kind of vague enough that you can put your own uh, mindset on it. Like you can sort of like overlay your own experience and you're just like, yeah, this song is for me. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Certainly something. Something. Uh, the other Alien Lanes uh, uh, tidbit that I really liked is that apparently in the recording process, an engineer scrawled on the mastering sheet, this is the poorest sound quality I've ever heard. And Bob <laughs> laughed and said, hey, just master it, dumb fuck. Make it sound like who's next. Sprinkle your magic on it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, t- tell him. Just master it, dumb fuck. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's just your job to do the mastering. Yeah, it's not my job. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's, that also must have been funny for uh, for Pollard at this time, since every album they're making is like now the best sounding thing he's ever recorded. <laughs> he's like, totally. it sounds great to me. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. This is the best. Yeah, this is the best you thing I've to, ever made. Yeah, you want me to yeah. dredge up my twenty boxes of four track recordings? Because <laughs> I because I will, and I and I did. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so meanwhile, you know, they, they're kind of flying through the, the, the mid to late 90s. They're playing a ton of shows. Uh, they're, they're drunk a lot. One, <laughs> one night, the band basically like loses track of Bob after, after a show. And they realize after a couple blocks of walking that he's gone. And they realize that he's passed out standing up on a street corner. <laughs> and then when he, he like kind of wakes up and comes to and he fires them all for leaving him behind. And then he rehires them six hours later. This is very Marky Smith. It's very Marky Smith. I can very much relate to that story. Because <laughs> the, the first big, like, quote unquote, big Wolf Parade show in New York was at Warsaw, I think. Uh, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, we... I don't, we'd never played for that many people in New York city before. And after the show, we were just like running around, having a great time, getting drunk and then realized collectively that we forgot to book hotel rooms. Ah, so <laughs> we basically like had You're this triumph, green point. <laughs> triumphant fucking show and all s- slept in the van. Oh God. <laughs> like, Amazing. It was supposed to be like, we've arrived in New York and like, no, we're all sleeping in the van. That's yeah. Great. There are like several, Guided by Voices stories of them just being like trying to trying desperately to stay in a hotel room and either being like too drunk to like go or like getting kicked <laughs> yeah. out by the lobby guy like just a mess. Uh, yeah, there, there's one story where like it was New Year's and they basically had to drive from New York to Ohio because they had nowhere to stay. Oh no, <laughs> that's right. And they drove in the wrong direction. Like one of them was sober enough to drive. <laughs> the tour manager, they all fell asleep and woke up like four hours later and realized they'd been driving north from New yeah. York State. Yeah. Like towards the Canadian border. Brutal. Oh, I yeah. was going to say that if you're going from New York to Ohio, the wrong direction but puts you in the ocean pretty quickly. But <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. right. I'm just going to play some uh, official Iron Man's rally song if we're going through just tour stories of this era. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that song is so good. Just have to join in on this song. I guess the bass was played really poorly on this song, and the engineer decided to make the drummer follow the bass, basically. <laughs> and, like, punch in kick drum, so it kind of speeds up there, you know? Oh and that's, God. like, 
instead of getting the bass player to re-record it, he was just like, fuck it. <laughs> That's amazing. At this point, is basically, is like every album they're recording with like a slightly different lineup? Uh, almost? It seems like it. There's a, the lineup is chaotic in the like late 90s to early 2000s. Tobin, Tobin Sprout is still in the band. I think this is, this is his last record, right? Or, yeah. Yeah, he, I know he's out pretty soon because he has, has a kid or a second kid. Some, one, yeah. one number of kid put him over the top. Uh, speaking, uh, Speaking of a band of great names, Tobin Sprout. It's like his actual name, right? Like, yeah. Incredible. Like not only are they blessed with great song titles and album titles, it's like Mitch Mitchell, Greg Demos, Tobin Sprout, yes. Kevin Fennel. Yes. Like, <laughs> these are the perfect, the perfect rock yeah. names. St- casually killer solos on like all these songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so tossed off, sounding like effortless. Your uh, guitar tone on all these songs, I just love. It's like that just perfect amount of overdrive and distortion. Not too much. No, not being flashy about it. We're not. We're not doing that grunge thing. Yeah, it's almost like uh, like the glam rock style yeah. distortion, like very mid range. Like. Again, yeah, all that that stuff that's like, yeah, that feels very like late 60s British invasion but it doesn't feel like a throwback it's like sonically very in there but it's not like it's we're not like, retro we're like cheekily doing a, a pretend to be the kinks not like the you know two, we just did the 2000s indie rock power hour and with like so much of that stuff yeah. had that like affected like oh oh we're British again <laughs> yeah even white stripes kind of veer into yeah. that sort of like it's like authenticity cosplay, like yeah, yeah. Bob also has quite the vocal range. He just did the that last chorus a, an octave higher, and he still sounded great. Yeah, he's got it. Yeah, I love. I, yeah, that part of that song's so good. Damn. Great, great song. So they're they're kind of grinding through the the late nineties. Uh, uh, Commensurate, I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, in, in keeping with uh, my theory that the late 90s make uh, rock guys crazy a little, uh, <laughs> Bob was like, you know what I want to make? I, like, I'm gunning for radio play. Like, let's fucking do this. I want uh, uh, Rick Ocasek from the Cars to produce. <laughs> Rick, Rick Ocasek or his second choice is, is Mutt, Mutt Lange. The like huge, uh, you know, Shania Twain's ex-husband. Yes. Husband. Yeah. Famously forced Def Leppard to record guitar chords one string at a time. <laughs> and, and Bob is like, I want that guy. But yeah, yeah no. So, so he want, they, he's basically gunning for, you know, kind of a more, he, they, he moves off Matador and onto TVT, which is a, a technically a major. I had never heard of TVT. Um, I don't know if they were a subsidiary of something else. At um, Sony or Universal at some point. But the, the the thing I loved about the book that put it in Bob's feelings in context is he said Bob was tired of playing 11 a.m. slots at festivals while Tenacious D headlined. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he they record uh, Do the Collapse. That's like and once again, I'm skipping a bunch of stuff. Yes. Um, uh, but of Do course, the Collapse mi- is basically... Missing, uh, oh, only one between there, oh. which is uh, on character- characteristic. Between 96 is Under the Bushes, you only have 
Mog Earwig. Ah, uh, <laughs> Between yes. uh, that and Do the Collapse in 99. Right. Um, and Rick, Rick in the studio, he wants the band to record sober, which is kind mm. of a huge ask. Uh, and once when they sneak out uh, during one session to have a few few pints, Rick asked them, are you guys fucked on beer? <laughs> <laughs> and Bob is like, I wouldn't say we're fucked. <laughs> like you haven't seen fucked on beer because <laughs> we can do it. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, so they, they record this album. I'd be interested in playing a song off it just to kind of sonically compare. Uh, I like teenage FBI a lot, but uh, do you yeah, have that's any? The, that's that, the jam. That's a jam. Let's do it. All right. This is Teenage FBI off 1999's Do the Collapse. Yeah, it's got like synths on it and shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely got the uh, Rick Ocasek like uh, uh, portamento synth vibe in the chorus. I like this song. I don't like the album. I think Do the Collapse was kind of a mis- rare misstep. Yeah. The li- I'm saying the late 90s are... He, they brought some weird stuff out of people. Yeah, like Dinosaur Jr. made a really bad album in the late night. All those, all those people did. Sonic Youth was making like sort of had a couple of clunkers around yeah. that too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's still good, but yes, this is the most they sound like Weezer or something. <laughs> it's a huge call, yeah. But the melodies are still very much bops. Yeah, and his voice has something that, that makes it still feel so, like, weird and, and out of place. Yeah. <laughs> Screaming solos. <laughs> I mean... I get why he would want to do this because if you're like you're getting that kind of success if people are still giving you money if you can get Rick Ocasek in the studio like you're putting out like you've already put out 10 albums this decade yeah. why not try to just do one that's like the radio album yeah like the worst thing that's gonna happen is that you might get some snarky reviews from people who liked your earlier stuff Maybe it doesn't catch on radio. You just go back to doing what you're good at, which yeah. is writing great songs and recording them on four track. It's like this. Yeah. It's like the, you know, the weather in Chicago or something. You don't like this Guided by Voices album. You know, wait six months. <laughs> yeah, there's always going to be another one. I gotta say, this song, great pre-chorus. Basic sense. <laughs> Someone tell me why I do the things that I don't wanna do. You're me. Rick, do you think we could quit some of the, you know, maybe the cutoff on the synth a little just to make it a little different? No. No. One, one setting. Yeah. I'm just imagining if they hired like Max Martin to, or like Dr. Luke to produce their <laughs> album. <laughs> just a true like insane pop rock album. I mean, that song still goes. I, I was listening to some live stuff and like just it fits right in with all their other like it just sounds of a piece with that, even if it's very shiny in the production and the recording. I think he wrote it when he was a teenager too. Like oh I, I, I saw in some of my reading that 
teenage FBI. This might have been just speculation on somebody else. This came from him teaching experience. Like a lot of his songs have to do with uh, uh, teaching. Oh. Like Robot right. Boy gets Gold Star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gold Star for Robot for, Boy. Uh, 14 Cheerleader Cold Front. <laughs> that was that that's, Oh, man, that's a great song. <laughs> I bet if I went through Do the Collapse, I would actually enjoy a lot of this because I like that big cheesy pop. Uh, you like you, some synth with I your, like the synth. Rock I, I, like, I like some power pop. Yeah, the heavily compressed guitars. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that that doesn't uh, net them any radio play because uh, what rock what rockers are getting radio play at this time? It's Limp Bizkit and uh, the whole new metal gang. So yeah. they right. my voices cannot break through. Sure, uh, unfortunately, they uh, put this out at the the weird uh, desert of indie rock era. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, I feel like five years later, and like something maybe would have happened, but it was just the word like just one of the worst times ever for just good rock yeah, music. We, uh, we all blew our load on the Indian college rock and lo- between 1994 and 1997. And then after that, we needed the harder shit. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Right. We needed stained. Um, yeah. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh, so yeah, then he's kind of in a transitional period. Uh, TVT, the label wants a hit and uh, are convinced that he's holding out on them as these, <laughs> as these record label guys always seem to be just like, where's the hit? And he's like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. I've written 500 songs this year. You can't find yeah. it somewhere in there. Okay. Uh, and then his marriage also finally ends after like what sounds like years of kind of struggle and strife. Uh, and then they go back to Matador and then kind of start the their like early aughts zone, which uh, the book describes as him fully assuming his Uncle Bob persona, <laughs> which is like you're kind of like drunk, weird uncle. But also they kept. Ref- Did they say Dean Martin, like a Dean Martin, like showman type of guy? Yeah, he his conception of himself was as Dean Martin, and people were like, hmm, kind of like Dean Martin. <laughs> also, I see like- what you're going for, but. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's also an incredibly around this time uh, a messy tour with Cheap Trick, which they oh. thought was a good idea, and then it meet it. They didn't. They didn't share bills where uh, uh, well all the time. I think they also had uh, struggle touring with Urge Overkill. <laughs> yeah, that story was insane. Basically, Urge Overkill uh, had been pumping out records for five or six years, and then got just, just drafting that Pulp Fiction uh, uh, nod. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they got they got big on the uh, on the Pulp Fiction song and took GBV out, and people would leave after Guided <laughs> by Voices set. So, Urge Overkill, cool guys that they were, kept shrinking the set down. So, be like, okay, now you're yeah, playing. you only get thirty minutes this time. Yeah, they're still playing forty songs or whatever. But, <laughs> but yeah, and they they publicly left the tour, which was uh, it was kind of surprising to me because the, the, it was written up in Billboard and stuff, but they, they just basically were like, we're not fucking doing this anymore. We're out. Yep. You know? Yeah. No, now, they, wait, were people leaving, were people leaving the show because they really just came there to see GBV and then left before Urge Overkill or were the Urge yes. Overkill fans put off by GBV? No, I think people were leaving because they paid for GBV and got GBV and then were not interested in seeing Urge Overkill. <laughs> That's the that's the danger of putting the the band that people like less last. Even even if they're supposed to be headlining, like it's it's I'll, not going to work out for you. I'll yeah. say I fe- I I was almost thinking that way a few years ago when I saw uh, unicorns and 
television open for Arcade Fire at the Barclays <laughs> Center, uh, but decided to stick around for Arcade Fire. And you know what? They won't be over. They were great. Yeah, they're great live. Oh, they're totally so great. great live. I think that, the, the last time I had seen them live was with you guys opening for them in like 2005 or whatever. Oh, no. What? what where? Chicago, <laughs> right? You guys did a... Oh, a, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We played in Chicago. Did we play at Metro or something yeah. in Chicago? Yeah. So it been yeah. my first week of college. I kept leaving student orientation activities to go see shit in, in downtown. And one of the shows was you guys, was Wolf Parade opening for Arcade Fire. That was funny because that, that tour was... Uh, Again, like reading through this book, reading GBV's touring schedule, it was flashing me back to touring in 2004, 2005. And we had driven, I think, all the way from Montreal to Chicago to start that tour, then went out to the West Coast, and then had to drive all the way back to Chicago in one shot to do like the full, first Wolf Raid headline show at Shuba's. Jesus. So, wow. Terrible routing, but like on the way... <laughs> West, we were making one hundred and seventy-five Canadian dollars a night opening for Arcade Fire. <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh my and god! Then, and then I remember playing the Shubas show, and it's like what two hundred and fifty capacity, and we got paid like two grand, and it was the most we'd ever made. And wow. everybody was just fl- I was like, I'm quitting my fucking job. Hell yeah! It would be, it would be several years before I quit. My job. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I can't remember, but I think I was at. Both of those shows, both the the open for arcade, and then later when you guys came back through headlining, this show, I, this she was show was so much fun. I like fell in love with Chicago that night. Good venues yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, um, that's where <laughs> I was about to say that's where Guided by Voices played their last shows. That is uh, not true. Uh, Guided by Voices uh, sort of pump fakes uh, their <laughs> retirement several times, yeah. which is why like the end of this book is like not really it doesn't feel very conclusive because it's like they're building toward these, you know, what, what Bob decides are going to be, you know, like the last album and like the last shows. And then I think they get together two years later. Yeah. Cause they quit yeah. in 2004. Yeah. And right? then I think by 2006, they're back at it. Meanwhile, of course, like Bob is recording solo music and then they get back together in like 2010. And then again in 2010, 12 like they they basically i think by the end they say something like bob and kind of by voices are like kind of the same but like sometimes you turn one off or turn the other on it's yeah. all of a piece so they never really end yeah it's like uh this is the same way i felt when uh steven soderbergh said that he was retiring from making movies did he if say that look, yeah in like like two or three years ago maybe maybe around like 2015 or something but you look at that guy's movie career and he has made one movie every nine months for like two decades straight. And I'm like, <laughs> you're not, you don't just give that up cold turkey. He's yeah. going to make more movies. And you know what? Like two years later, he's like, I shot a whole movie on an iPhone. Yeah, it's exactly. A, it's not a movie. It's a, you know, it's a video it's a, experience. It's a mixtape. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a visual, it's a visual album, maybe. <laughs> it's a visual album. Yeah. <laughs> it's a play, like a, it's a playlist a la, a la Drake. Yeah, yeah. He, he'll it's, keep making movies. Sure, it's theater on film. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So they were officially retired in, two, or they retired for the first time in 2004. Yet I saw them, I think, at the South Street Seaport opening for Ted Leo. I just had to get the Ted Leo Ooh, mentioned Ted Leo. two straight albums or two straight oh, yeah. eps mm-hmm. in 2010 or something. And then Molly and I, and then they retired in 2012. And then Molly and I saw them at a festival in 2017. In 20, 17. <laughs> 17. Yeah. So, what what festival? Coachella. Coachella. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, we, 
left, I don't know, whoever was playing in the middle of the day that day. Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Ariel we, Pink. Yeah, right, some, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. walked all the way across to the Gla- air conditioned. Glass animals. To the air conditioned rock tent at Coachella <laughs> to open the door to see Bob swigging lovingly out of a giant thing of, I, can, I presume, whiskey and, and howling at the audience. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. It was awesome. They, they were great. Yep. They were, yeah, they're fantastic. Also, seeing seeing uh, like legacy at this point, rock bands at festivals, kind of rock. Like, I mean, not there weren't that many people in that tent. I mean, how many people were there? Like a hundred? No, was a, more than that. Probably like two. It was a nice, intimate show. So, like in some yeah. ways, you get to see it in a in a different way than one normally would. And the air conditioning was great. I got to see the fall at a festival that Wolf Parade played in 2010 for. I don't know. They were playing for like 75 people like Mumford and sons were also playing this festival. Oh my goodness. I mean, I do. Uh, Molly, and I love going to festivals because you get to see so many things. It's great. Yeah. Uh, I, I really stand by, you know, some, some of them are really obnoxious, but it is a truly a bang for your buck. Yeah. But it is things like that where you're like, you know, you see like whatever, 10,000 people going to see Mumford and sons. And you're like, Guys, the fall are right here. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2010. You're not going to get to see these edit, see these much more. What are you thinking? Yeah. I think that's always like uh, almost like a reality check of uh, a, a band's like cult status versus like the real politic of yeah. uh, mm. pop music. You know? yep. But I don't know. In a way, it is heartening to see, you know, something as, you know, as, as ruthlessly young and as ruthlessly pop oriented as something like Coachella is that guided by voices still pulls, you know, 200 people in the middle of the day yeah. to go see Robert Pollard sing and yeah. the song still will rule. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, this is, I mean, this is kind of the end of the, the, the book as it were, uh, any, any like later period or I guess mid mid period guided by voices songs to listen to. I, I, I gotta say glad girls by, uh, like off isolation drills which right. was maybe two records before they, they quote unquote quit. <laughs> That's uh, 2001's Isolation Drills. Here's uh, Glad Girls. Hey, Glad Girls. Oh, yes, I know this one. Just like classic power pop song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's a. Uh, you know, along with that thing that I was saying is that every one of their albums is basically like almost equally as good, but yeah. also still every album generates one or two songs that then enter, enter the pantheon yeah. of, of top tier songs. That's hard to do. You know, you look at bands with long careers who put out greatest hits records and they almost consistently lean heavily towards like the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You see, yeah, you see a greatest hits album, and you're like, okay, well, you had to put one in from your post two thousands career, but is that really yeah. a greatest hits? Yeah, it's a super necessary. Like even even Joy Division or uh, New Order Substance, mm-hmm. there's some stinkers at the end of Substance, you know. Like I will uh, look, I'll I'll stand by um, their most recent new album. I think there's a lot of good songs on the uh, on that New Order. Is great. Uh, God damn it! What is the name of that record? Uh, 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 Complete Music, 2016's yeah. Complete Music has a lot of great songs on it. Yeah, that's a really good record. But yeah, uh, 
keeping adding songs to your your you know rolling jukebox of of, of top tier hits is very impressive. Consistent hits is hard to pull off, you yeah. know. But it's interesting because you could make the argument that like Bob actually has one idea that he is able to articulate in a million different ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Totally. Whereas some people have one idea that they can articulate in one way and then they drift off into like I don't know. An yep. solo acoustic record or yeah. jazz. Or yeah, whatever. or this is the this is the power pop record and the next one is or that's the the electronic record or something. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there's a thread running through all of this that's almost got like a Ramones like uh yes. intensity of focus. But even like the Ramones, I mean that's another good one where it's like they keep doing the same thing over and over and I love I love the thing that the Ramones do, but like what 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 are the hits from the last ten Ramones albums? If you're yeah, doing the they're... greatest hits, it's all in the first half. Yeah, I think the last great Ramones original is like Pet Cemetery. How late is KKK took my baby away? It's like maybe like mid eighties. I don't know. That's the maybe the latest one I love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but no, this is a great song. And then they still have like I don't know ten more albums after this. Yeah, and they're I gotta say like their recent albums. Uh, they had a record in twenty sixteen. I can't remember the name, but it's a the double album. And I I bought it in Columbus. Uh, at the at the record shop that Bob, you know, goes into frequently during the book. Yeah. I was like, I have to buy a GBB record while I'm here. I'll buy the new one, and it's incredible. It's like, is it really good? Please be honest, or is it August by Cake? August by Cake. All right, great. Let's, we'll, <laughs> we'll do one more off that while we, uh, you know, do sign up. Great. No, I, I always appreciate doing the the uh, books. And stories of bands like this where it's like, where they just have a like kind of workmanlike a- attitude. There's not that much drama in here. Well, I, speaking of the workmanlike attitude, I do, I do want to bring up the last quote from Bob in the book, which I just fucking love. The interviewer, the, the writer is talking about basically like inspiration. Like, how do you keep your inspiration after so many years? <laughs> and Bob is like, you are totally overthinking this. I drink and I have a good fucking time and I'm married to a lovely woman. He gets remarried. Uh, when I get up in the morning, the cats get excited. I make some coffee. I might write a song. I might do some collages. Every morning when I get up, I'm working on something. If I didn't work, I'd be there with my thumb up my ass. I'd be working at nothing. Yeah. He's just working. Yeah. He's got to make something. Uh, I mean, that is a, that is a lovely quote. And, and I, lo- I, I was anticipating the sentiment of you're overthinking it. Yeah. Because <laughs> when you write like this, it's just you, you write what comes to you. Yeah. Uh, but I was gonna just comment briefly on the on the alcohol thing because that usually you know we've covered people where it becomes a problem. Yes, it doesn't really seem like it. He is a notorious drunk. Yes, to to the extent that he and his bandmates, you know, mm-hmm. uh, they'll do three hour shows and just be basically the the writer of the book calls it ossified, like getting <laughs> yeah. so drunk that you kind. It seems like I guess you turn into a. A, a living tomb or something. Uh, <laughs> yes. But yeah, no, he, it's never, and other band members like Kevin Fennell, I think uh, uh, ends up having a serious problem that requires sobriety, but like sobriety is not really on the table for Bob. And I do think it is. I mean, he drinks a, a ton, but it doesn't seem to negatively affect his life. It seems to just be his life. There's I'm no rock bottom. 
I'm wondering if he is kind of like a David Yao, uh, like singer from the Jesus Lizard type figure who, you know, like at home is like a teetotaler, but, <laughs> but when he's on tour, he's like, okay, this is part, literally part of the job. Yeah. Like, yeah. I yeah. can kind of relate to that in a way of like, I maybe mean, not, not so much now, but the old days of, of Wolf Parade, I would, I was, there's, was, I wasn't drinking remotely as heavily as I would on tour. But you just, you know, you just kind of turn it on. Well, you, want, part of the show. you know what? You want to yeah. be, yeah, yeah, it's part of the show. I mean, I can appreciate that. It's, it, you gotta, you gotta get rowdy. I mean, I, I don't want to, you know, give too much away, but when we're doing Chapo shows, I consider it, you know, substances are definitely part of trying to get into the right headspace to be entertaining on stage for that long, especially when you're just up there talking. Yeah. You gotta be vibrating at the right frequency. Yeah, you know? exactly. Uh, all right. Well, let's move into the outro. I'm, again, I'm just picking. There's so many songs. I'm picking things at uh, at random here. This is off August by Cake. Let's just do um, uh, Packing the Dead Zone. And I'll play this just under us as we go out. We're creating a society of cell phone crazed marijuana smoking zombies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining it and joining the show. Um, had a great time. Uh, as I've said already many times, uh, Wolf Parade was a very important uh, band to me and uh, my adolescence, and so and uh, your music has continued to be uh, very important to me. So it's it's great to have you here. Uh, is there anything you'd like to plug? Um, I'd like to plug. I'd like to plug uh, my Patreon. Devoika uh, uh, from Operators and I have a Patreon where we are releasing Operators songs and doing album streams we're gonna stream alien lanes after we finish taping this uh and uh yeah and putting new music out so and because because there's no touring uh that's how i'm putting music out and making money so excellent well we will we will link that in the in the description of this please 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 go check out dan we saw operators last year in the before times when when you could go see a show and it hurts my heart physically to think about that being a thing that we used to do <laughs> um, and you guys were fucking awesome so yes everyone Molly. please give Dan your money Molly and I were yelling at each other right before this that we would pay like $2,000 right now to go see some band we've never heard of to go of see that, a like terrible band yeah I, I miss going to shows and I miss playing shows and reading this book was uh, it was a was kind of bittersweet yeah i could kind of smell the beer (laughs) yeah and describing you know like the audience and the emotions that the that you know bob and and his band are going through there's there's nothing to compare to it yeah yeah street streaming a a a concert is just doesn't hit the same way i would imagine uh i have to give a shout out here to the eternal problematic fave uh amy klobuchar who uh, just co-wrote a bill here to protect American venues during this time to uh, help to help give some federal funding to keep venues open right Seriously. now. So like uh, bad in most of her politics, but Amy, thank you, thank you, Amy, thank you, Amy for thank for you, Amy. And <laughs> we will we will go see live go see and play live music again. Yes. Uh, until then, uh, this has been And Introducing. You can follow us on Twitter at AndIntropod or send us an email at AndIntroducingPod at gmail.com. Our SoundCloud is, as always, at 
soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod and rate and review to us on po- Apple Podcasts or whatever the fucking app is now, wherever you can find us. Wait, rate and review. And as always, uh, put on your 40 favorite GBV songs <laughs> and tell a girl in a be- in a her bedroom in Canada how much you love or the And Introducing Podcast. Take take some take some acid and go listen to the And Introducing Podcast in the woods. Yes. Maybe maybe not the best idea actually. Yeah, go I t- walk I take out on the back. old train tracks and uh, just <laughs> blast that blast that podcast. <laughs> blast the pods. Yeah. Uh, until then, we'll be back in another two weeks with another And Introducing. 